0: Back to Watch Podcast. Thank you for listening to yet another episode. The last few weeks have been quite crazy on my end, and the next month will probably be just as crazy. I am gearing up for finals week, weeks, really, and I was thinking that for the next month, I'll probably switch to releasing episodes bi-weekly. It is not my favorite idea, but basically, I just want to help with my own sanity and make sure that my episodes continue to grow in their quality while I am still maintaining good grades in my PhD program. Because, you know, we had that check-in earlier this semester and I gotta tell you, shit's hitting the fan. I mean, well, maybe not that drastic, but things are getting very high pressure because I've only got a couple weeks until my presentations. And then only like a week or two after that, until I submit my final papers. I have one final exam and another final project to do. So there's, needless to say, a lot going on. Um, And I really appreciate your flexibility in this matter. Um, Okay, so the podcast is finally on Pandora, which is super, super exciting. So now you can listen to your favorite podcast on Pandora on the go, you can do all these things with it. So we're still waiting on iHeartRadio. But the fact that we now have Pandora, there is just one more platform added to the list of wherever you can officially get the podcast. So now we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Deezer, Pandora, and wherever else you get your podcast, except of course, iHeartRadio little sad face emoji. If you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to or listening on and download each episode, please. Um this is going to help me kind of keep track of which episodes are a little bit more popular than others and what's working, what's not working, and it also helps me keep track of where all my listeners are from. So, I checked this morning or like yesterday, sorry. And I have listeners in Brazil and Colombia now. I'm adding so many more to the list and it's super exciting to watch the podcast grow. Um, Of course, I know a couple weeks back I had mentioned we had over 13 countries. So now I'm just, you know, kind of keeping track of where else we're adding the podcast to. And so I'm so excited and you downloading this helps me see how the podcast is growing. So yeah, I really appreciate it. And anyway, moving on. Now we're on to patron stuff. So patron shout out to Caitlin for being such a wonderful patron and supporting Artwatch podcast. And to all of my other fantastic listeners, I have a question for you. Would you like to become a patron? Your patron support helps me pay for behind the scenes stuff like my Podbean and Squarespace subscriptions to make sure the podcast is up everywhere, including all those platforms I just listed as well as creating a website that gives you sort of a central location to find the podcast. What's going on with the podcast, you know, all that update fun stuff. And I now have merch. So the website is helping with that too. And if you want to check out the merch page, you can visit www.artwatchpodcast. Check out the merch, check out the About Me And soon there's going to be a blog post. If you would like to become a patron, which I hope you do, you can do it for as little as $3 a month. And whatever level you choose, I am incredibly, incredibly grateful. Each level has its own perks. $3 is just general support. And then starting at $6 and above, you'll get cool perks like shoutouts on the episodes behind the scenes stuff, exclusive content, discounts on merch, and then if you get to I believe it's a $30 and $50 member level, then you start getting actual merch. So check it out. I really hope you like to become a patron. If for whatever reason you can't just, you know, keep downloading the episode, share with your friends, all of the support, I greatly appreciate. So, check out patreon.com artwatchpodcast, or check out the website, www.artwatchpodcast.com. And there's links to Patreon, there's links to social media, there's links to email me, and of course, the merch. So, the next thing I had to mention is, if you are not following me on social media, specifically Instagram and Twitter, at artwatchpodcast, I am planning in the month of May or June to do a giveaway. I am going to design a piece of merch specifically for this giveaway. So it is only one piece of merch, that's it. You're going to get the only one designed like this. And all you'll have to do is, I'm thinking, follow, share and save on Instagram. So it's going to be, I believe, an Instagram giveaway mostly still working out the kinks, but keep an eye out for that. So yeah, um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast. And if you ever want to email me for whatever reason, you noticed I made a mistake in an episode, you just want to say hey, or you know, you want to maybe collaborate on something, email me artwatchpodcast at gmail.com. And that brings us to today's topic. So we are going to be talking about Colombian artist Deborah Arango Perez. So I'm going to start with her biography. And she was primarily a painter, but she did also work with ceramics and graphics. Arango is most known for her feminist works, particularly for the reason that she would frequently push back against Catholicism and gender norms. So she was very much a feminist. And of course, being a feminist in the early 20th century is always difficult um, for any woman. Arango was born on November 11th, 1907, to a rather wealthy family in Medellin, Colombia. And as a young child, she was rebellious and would wear male clothing and ride, something that was attributed to male activities. So I believe I had mentioned this in the Carmen Robles um, activity podcast episode and riding horses was considered masculine. So for a girl to do this, it was, you know, a little scandalous little bit out of the norm. But also at a young age, Arango exhibited an interest in painting. And so she was enrolled in the Instituto de Bellas Artes in Medellin. And she studied under Eladio Velez and Nel Gomez. While also a young student, she would read books from her aunt's library, everything from anatomy to philosophy, which would greatly influence her development as an artist. In 1937, she exhibited watercolors, of landscapes, animals, and still lifes in Nel Gomez's workshop. But in 1938, she began practicing alone and experimented with life-size nudes, particularly the life-size nude female. A year later, she exhibited her works at the Club Union de Medellin, where she earned first prize. However, a scandal broke out because her works were viewed as, quote, pornographic, end quote. But let's be real, if she were a man, her works would have been labeled as genius or avant garde. The works that helped her win the prize were Cantarina de la Rosa and La Amiga. I was not able to find a photo of Cantarina de la Rosa. But I was able to find her work La Amiga because she has many of her works digitized through Museum of Modern Art Medellin. And let me go into a visual analysis. So the painting that I'm looking at La Amiga depicts a nude female laying on top of a red cloth bed covering. Her back is exposed as well as her bottom and lower half of her legs. Her head is cradled between her arm and shoulder and her face is visible to the audience. Her hair is down and goes past her back, her back shoulder. There is a white cloth covering the lower portion of her bottom and the upper portion of her thighs. This is the only covering that the artist gives to the female. The female's side breast is visible. However, the frontal portion of her body is pushed into the bed that she's laying on. The artist uses dark contrasting colors. In the background, it's mostly this either blue green or bluish black coloring. It's hard to tell because it's a digital reproduction. And the colors in the background and the colors of the red cloth are reflected onto the figure's skin. On the bottoms of her feet, we see deep reds within the skin tone, whereas on her abdomen, underneath her armpit, and in portions of her face, there are greens that also reflect portions of the background. Her hair is long and loose, flowing behind her shoulder. Though it's quite puffy, but this could just be due to the type of brush stroke that she used. The figure looks quite peaceful. And even though her eyes are closed, there is a slight smile, the corners of her lips sort of turn up. So it almost looks like if you had somebody who was laying down and either getting a massage or just maybe, you know, tanning. Granted, she's on a bed, but just to give you an idea of the position that her body is in the colors are quite exaggerated within her skin. Obviously, we wouldn't see somebody who has such deep greens or deep reds. And the placement of some of the red closer to her pelvic region, it actually looks like bruising. Um, I can't say for sure that it is bruising just because there's a watermark of the Museo de Arte Moderno in Medellin over it. (laughs) So I can't quite see perfectly. But you get the idea that there's this sort of serene nude female. And It's not much different than other nude females that you'd see throughout the tradition of, like, throughout the nude tradition of art history, but this painting was not well received, despite the fact that she won an award for it. Apparently, the viewers were so appalled by her images that they called in the local priest to try and convince her to take down the works and to no longer practice painting nudes. And to rub salt in the wound, apparently her teacher Elario Velez was supposedly the one who first caused the scandal by making the initial complaint. There is nothing really pornographic about this image. Maybe this woman just had sex. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she's just laying in her bed. We don't know. I mean, it doesn't- it doesn't appear to be any more different than any of the reclining nudes that you would see in the past. The main difference is that this woman seems to be in charge of her sexuality and the fact that the artist is a woman. So you have, instead of the female body being objectified by the male gaze, it's the female body being represented through the female gaze. And so the fact that there was such a controversy around this work and her other work that won the award, this is the initial controversy, I should say, around her works, really just points to the fact that they didn't like her work because she was a female. And during the 1940s, she eventually exhibited more nude works in Bogota. And eventually she traveled to Mexico City and learned from the muralists. Particularly Jose Clemente Orozco was very influential for her works and how she developed her figures. This is actually sort of present in in La Amiga because the woman is a little bit blocky but she's still very like, like curved, I guess you could say, like, she still looks very much like this is a real body, whereas her later works become more blocky, kind of like Orozco is pop or well known for. He kind of has like these like thick, blocky, not really entirely naturalistic figures. And her later works sort of develop in that route. So she you can see like a progression. While she was in Mexico City, she actually earned some mural commissions, many of which I was unable to find, though it kind of makes sense given the fact that she's not exactly well known in the Eurocentric context. And most search engines, of course, favored the Eurocentric context. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any digital versions of her murals or whether or not they still exist in their original like setting. And so this, of course, points to a gap in, in contemporary scholarship around her works and the works of many female artists. I mean, last week we talked about Lola Cueto and, and the fact that there was such a gap in her own scholarship. Arango's career was full, was so full of public controversy, despite the many awards that she won for her works, She eventually went into isolation during the mid-1960s and stopped exhibiting her works altogether until 1975, when a public library in Medellin exhibited her work as a part of their grand opening. The event didn't garner much attention, but it did introduce Arango to many people that attended. During her period of isolation, she worked in her home, dubbed Casablanca, and produced various paintings, ceramics, baseboards, and other works of art. In 1984, the Museum of Modern Art of Medellin held a retrospective exhibition, with more than 250 works were exhibited, including watercolors, oils, and ceramics. According to the artist's website, this vindicated her from all of the controversies she faced throughout her career. And in 1986, Arango donated her entire collection to the Museum of Modern Art in Medellin where you can find many of them digitized. And that's actually the only reason why I was able to find La Amiga digitized is because of of the Museum of Modern Art website of Medellin, not MoMA, New York. Um, <laughs> so in 1991, she organized the exhibition Four themes in the work of Deborah Arango, the nude, religion, politics, and social denunciation, which is really important given the fact that many of her works did comment on the double standards, I should say, of female sexuality and female identity. Deborah Arango passed away in December of 2005 at the age of 98, and she was recognized for her talent and her contribution to Colombian art. Since November of 2008, house of Deborah Arango has been declared an asset of cultural interest by the nation. So... I believe she actually is on one of the Colombian peso notes. It is the Dos Mil Pesos. She was at one point on it, but I'm not sure if she's still on that same peso note. So that's super cool. I mean, like you see this evolution of the artist who began her career is quite controversial for the fact that she depicted nude females and she was a female and people didn't like the fact that she was a female depicting nude females, but she became so well known later on in life, and dubbed so important that she was actually on a banknote, which is really cool. So, contemporary scholarship. So for contemporary scholarship, there seems to be a fair amount of scholarship surrounding Arango in Spanish, and there is a growing examination of her works in English. Overall, most of the contemporary scholarship and criticism surrounding Arango's works in Spanish and English posits her as an incredibly important figure in Colombian art history. Santiago Lodonio Velez even saying that her works altered the canon in depicting female nudes. Deborah Martin wrote in 2012 that, breaking away from the academicist pictorial tradition which still dominated the Colombian artistic milieu, Arango's work constitutes a transgression of the formal and aesthetic visual codes, which Linda Nochlin in her essay, Women, Art, and Power, argues have inscribed the female form in Western art with the ideology of gender difference, end quote. In her article, Martin am- analyzes responses to Arango's male contemporaries who depicted the female nude were praised and caused little controversy, although sometimes it did happen, whereas the responses to Arango's female nude were quite different. She argues that because male artists perpetuate the idea that the female body and sexuality is an object that must be controlled, their works were mostly praised. Arango, however, did not conform to these norms, and instead her female nudes break this binary, which blurs the line between artist and subject. Martin's article also challenged how past scholarship had attempted to categorize Arango's nude, but Martin's examination points out the flaws in these ideas and highlights the multifaceted nature of Arango's work. So why is she important? What's the takeaway? Arango was clearly treated unfairly during the peak of her career because she was a woman. Her nudes were no more offensive or pornographic than her male, counterpart- er, than her male contemporaries, but because she challenged the patriarchal norms of female sexuality and frequently pushed against Catholic traditions and ideals, she was criticized. Additionally, her gender blurred the lines between artist and subject and the gaze of the viewer. Arango's work and its unjust criticism placed her as a significant artist in Latin America and contemporary Latin uh, contemporary scholarship should work to resituate her within Latin American art history. So before I end the podcast, I want to talk about her work internationally, um, particularly within the United States, since of course, that's where I'm located. She didn't have her first exhibition in the United States until 2013. It was called Sociales Deborah Arango, and it was a traveling exhibition. One of the iterations that I was able to find was at the Mint Museum Uptown in North Carolina, and the exhibition, I'm going to read directly from the site, just so you know, it's at mintmuseums.org. This is the first show by Arango in the United States. Arango did not consider herself liberal or revolutionary, but she was critical of the society of her time and believed that art should be involved with the real world. Arango referred to herself as an expressionist to describe her strong desire to interpret reality through her own uncensored personal sensitivity and sensibility. Um I'm gonna go ahead and stop the quote there. But that's really important considering the artist that she was looking at. I think that the way she approaches the subjects, of course, being more like the problems within society, it kind of does harken back to that realist idea or real ideas of realism. And I just think it's kind of like a, a shame that she hasn't really been exposed in the United States or really in most places outside of Colombia because she was such an influential person. I think that her works speak a lot to the problems that women internationally we're facing. And I don't know, I think that her work is something to be admired. And really, they're really fascinating. If you get a chance to look at them, you should I mean, some of them, I will say they do seem quite violent in the way that it's depicting violence against women. But I think the purpose of her works is what's important. And I want to take a moment, I'm gonna pull up a couple of her other works and I wanna kind of just describe them to you. Oh, sorry, but before I jump into that, she has actually also been featured in one of the issues of Art Forum where they were discussing her censorship in Spain, which is super ironic because all of her works are about like the violence happening against women and then because they're nude figures and they're seen as obscene or pornographic, you have like Spanish museums censoring her work, yet they won't censor the works of male artists who are quite literally violent towards their uh, in their attitudes towards women. So, if you get a chance, I don't have the subscription to Art Forum, so I wasn't able to read the actual article except for like the sort of blurb about it. But if you do have a subscription to Art Forum, check it out and let me know what you think. She also has had her works talked about on other blogs and other websites. (laughs) But she's, she's a really interesting character. And the fact that she was so important in Colombian art history, I'm just sort of shocked that I had never actually heard of her until just googling Latin American artists in and I would I change like the country so I'm trying to make it so that I'm hitting all of the countries in Latin America so I all I try to rotate who like what I'm researching and I really was drawn to her work and yeah so let me pause for real this time and And I'll pull up one or two more of her works and sort of talk to you about them. Okay, so I have pulled up her work, La Mistica, which depicts, I believe it's a nude nun, given the fact that in the background there is a church, and Arango is actually known for depicting nude nuns. Um, So in the figure, or in the painting, sorry, you have a nude female. And I don't know what it's called that nuns wear, but like their black sort of head dress thing like hair covering, it's sort of covering her hair and it drapes down and sort of covers part of the lower portion of her body specifically her vulva and the black cloth is sort of nestled between the figure's arms. She is in a pose that's actually very common in depictions of la Virgen de Guadalupe or like even just the Virgin Mary and she's her arms are sort of crossed underneath her bare breast. And on one hand, or sorry, on one wrist, she has a watch. And on the other, again, it's that black cloth hair covering, I believe. And her arms are crossed, her head is tilted to my right. So her left, the figures left, and her eyes look down sort of somberly, kind of in that same demure pose that you'll see in a lot of Virgin Marys or in probably in, in what she's referencing, maybe the Virgen de Guadalupe, because it's in the Latin American context, although I know that's mainly popular in Mexico, but she did spend a lot of time in Mexico. So it, she, she might be um, making a nod to that. In the lower portion of the frame or canvas, there are these red lilies, I believe, and they're quite bright, they're sort of flanking her, her hips. And She appears to be standing either in some sort of door frame or maybe a window frame. And it's a brown wood color. And in the background, again, there's like the top of the church and you can see the cross. And then just behind that is sort of like this abstract looking landscape that's mainly hills. Um, The figure has red lipstick on, which is kind of interesting given the fact that she's supposedly a nun. I know in a lot of like traditions, red lipstick is associated with a very sexual woman, particularly the prostitute. So not quite sure what commentary she's trying to do here, but it's interesting, no less. Just like in La Amiga, the figure in this painting has a lot of those reds, greens, blues, sort of that unnatural pigmentation of the skin. Obviously, like if you have done studio arts before, you know that there are different undertones to people's skin but it's not as exaggerated as what she's seeing, or as what she's depicting in this painting. Um, just below her breast, there on, on one, there's like this deep bluishy green, and then to the left of it, there is like this yellow, almost looks like bruising. And then again, on the other breast, there, breast, there is again, that sort of like bluish green yellow. Um, on her clavicle, there's this deep red, and it's heavily contrasted with like this burnt purple. Um, And it's sort of really emphasizing the bone structure. But it's a little bit odd given the colors that she's using. Underneath her chin, there's this green and orange. And then on the side of her neck, there's this pale blue. The figure's face obviously has a lot of makeup on it. Um, In this case, I feel like it's easier to tell that it's makeup rather than in La Amiga where it wasn't Really clear if, if the figure had makeup on, but on this nun's face, there's like this very deep ish pink red blush on both sides. It's more prominent on the cheek that's facing the viewer than the cheek that's sort of tilted away. Her ear is visible, and we see this sort of black hair that really blends in with the fabric of. I believe again, in this case, it looks like it's gonna be a nun. So yeah, like, you can see that she's really sort of challenging um, ideas of femininity, and ideas of female sexuality, especially if this is a nun, somebody who in that case would be repressed sexually. I mean, if you are familiar with Christian religion, in this case, Catholicism, there is an overt oppression of female sexuality, having any sort of sexual desires or pleasure is, you know, a sin, it's it's very looked down upon. And the fact that this is a nun makes that even all the more poignant of what she's doing and depicting her nude and well, mostly bare breasted, we can't see like her genitalia or anything below her waist. But the the critique, or rather the yeah, I know, like the critique is still there, no less. Um, but it's it's actually quite beautiful of a work. Oh, sorry, I just go down. You can't really see her pelvic region, but you can see like her thigh. Um, the troubles of looking on a small screen. Um, but yeah, there's Lily sort of connecting across. And of course if you're familiar with any sort of tradition in art history, specifically the Christian traditions of painting the Virgin Mary, you have the white lily. And in this case it's the red lily and red is often associated with seduction. So that's kind of a neat play that she's doing here. I don't know if that's the, the end goal, but if it is, it's a it's an interesting like play on on symbolism. And so yeah, it's definitely bringing the modern into like the traditional. Because this woman is wearing a modern watch, but she's of course in has some sort of traditional nun-like attire, like on her. Um, not much, but but yeah, this painting was made in 1940 and it's 99 by 66 centimeters. So it's it. I think that's pretty big. I did not translate that into inches, but I believe that's that's fairly large. Yes, because 100 centimeters is about three feet. So it's a it's a decent sized painting. Yeah. And like, again, the modeling is sort of similar to what she would have been learning about in Mexico City. It's, it is a little bit blocky, but it's still her interpretation of like the muralist styles. I think that's the best way to put it like it's still sort of rounded, it's still sort of smooth. But there are certain instances specifically with the way she's using color to create form. It is a little bit more jagged. Um, Yeah, so She does have another work called La Huida del Convento, which was made in 1950. And the title means the flight from the convent. So you have somebody who is supposed to, or supposed to be, I guess, like a nun who has left the convent. Um, She's nude. She's sort of caressing her hand through her hair. Her whole body is visible. There is a sort of like red cloth, I believe, around like the back of her waist but it it her genitalia is still incredibly visible and there's pubic hair which in that instance pubic hair is often tied to porn to more pornographic images but I mean if you're talking if you're talking about like a realist approach then this is incredibly you know lifelike because women have pubic hair wow who would have thought um but I think that cloth around the back of her waist might actually be the nun like gown, because just to the right of her, or sorry, to the left of her hand, there is the rosary. And in the back, there are three nuns that you can see walking past her. And then there's this like, red, sort of like, hell like background. So I don't know, maybe she's going for this sort of damnation or like the perceived damnation of women in charge of their own sexuality. And then another one of her works, La Lucha del Destino, which is like the fight of destiny, there are two clothed women and obviously they're in some sort of confrontation. One of the women, you can't quite see her face as her arm is sort of like covering it and she's in this unnatural position because the woman behind her is like pulling her. Maybe she's like, I think she's pulling her hair. It looks like, yeah, she it looks like she's pulling her hair. And I mean, their bodies are quite muscular. They're very thick. They're very voluminous. Um, I don't mean that in like our current context of thick with two C's. I mean, like the way that the figure was being treated in the 20th century, early 20th century, where they're very like heavy, robust sort of like dense figures. Um, <laughs> but the figure in the front, she's wearing this like really nice, like floral patterny dress and the one behind her who's pulling her hair is just in this like army green dress and then just behind them there's this scene of like a picnic area and they're in like the doorway leading like leading to the outside so since it's talking about destiny perhaps they're in the church entrance I'm not quite sure but you can tell like her forms are definitely like a nod to Orozco's like thick voluminous forms as well Um, So yeah, I know that I am a bit over on the time, but I hope that this has at least been some sort of like educational aspect of who Deborah Arango was and her role in Colombian art history. Um, Definitely check out her works. I'm getting most of mine from the Museum of Modern Art in Medellin. Because that's pretty much the only place that her works are digitized unless they have been talked about in like, for example, Art Forum, where they were talking about her censorship in Spain, or there are other blogs that you can see some of her works. They're all arts related blogs. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but definitely check her out. She's a very interesting figure in art history, and she definitely deserves to be talked about. If you have seen some of her works in person, let me know. I'm gonna make a post obviously tomorrow for the episode. So let me know in the comments if you've ever seen any of her works in person, Um, or if you've traveled to any of the museums in Colombia that have her works, let me know. I'd love to see pictures. You could submit them for Selfie Sunday Museum Edition. And I would love it if you referenced, you know, some of the paintings that we've talked about or works of art rather that we've talked about in past episodes. Um, yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend slash week too. Um, make sure you're following me on social media or art, at artwatch podcast, you can email me for any corrections, or if you just want to email me a picture of yourself at a museum, you can do that too. If you don't want to DM me, my email is artwatchpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to become a patron, which I hope you would, Artwatch podcast, or sorry, patreon.com slash artwatchpodcast. And then if you want to check out the website, buy some merch or get the link to the Patreon, go to www.artwatchpodcast.com. And I hope to see you guys soon. Again, have a great weekend.